take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of uh, Matthew, chapter number 28, in your Bible, Matthew 28. Tonight, we'll talk about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll look, in, we'll look into some precious passages of Scripture. Every gospel record gives an account of how Jesus rose from the dead, every single one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, none of them leave out the fact that our Savior walked out of a tomb. But I want to read a, a couple of them tonight. First, Matthew chapter 28. And if you're able to stand, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. I'll read the first verse and you read the second, so on and so forth. We'll read Matthew chapter 28, the first six verses. And then we're going to turn to the book of John and we'll read uh, a few verses in the book of John. Matthew 28, verse number one, the Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And quickly, if you can turn over to the book of John, chapter number 20. John chapter number 20. And we'll do the same. I'll read the first verse and you follow along. Read the second with me together. We'll end on verse number 8. John chapter number 20. The Bible says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taketh, taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself, and together on verse 8. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Father in heaven, I pray that you would bless the simple message tonight, the truths that you've given to me this week for this hour. Lord, I pray that this whole service would just be anointed by you and that you would speak to hearts and move in our midst, encourage the Christian. Lord, if there's any here that are lost, I pray that tonight they would be saved and born again. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. If I were to preach 10 times on Easter, I believe that nine out of 10 would focus on what is not in the tomb. Of course, you and I know what is not there. 
churches were filled all around the world today and preachers stood up and preached and Christians celebrated because of what is not found in the tomb and that is simply the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what separates Bible-believing Christians from every other religion. There have been many religious people that have lived and died. I think about Muhammad, how he lived and died. I think of Confucius, how he lived and died. And Joseph Smith, how he lived and died. Buddha, and on and on we can go. Religious people that lived and died. I think of great thinkers like Aristotle or Socrates that, that lived and died. World leaders, and we could name them uh, all night tonight, men like George Washington and Napoleon and so on and so forth, men who commanded great armies and governments, they lived and died. And I think about Jesus, how he lived. He was born in a manger. He was raised in Nazareth. He was baptized by John. The Bible says that he went about everywhere doing good. Uh, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Yes, Jesus lived. Absolutely, positively, Jesus lived. I think about how Jesus died. See him nailed to a Roman cross. See him suspended between heaven and earth. Uh, see the crown of thorns digging into his skull. A thief on one side mocking and jeering. A thief on the other side saying, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. See the pool of blood at the foot of the cross. Hear him as he breathes his last breath and he lays his life down. Uh, yes, Jesus lived and yes, Jesus died. Just like every other religious leader, just like every other great thinker, just like every other uh, uh, world leader. But there has never been another that lived, died, and rose again on his own power. And so tonight we are celebrating Easter tonight all across the world. We think about the Lord Jesus, how he lived, how he died, and how he rose again, how he lives forevermore. The Bible says he is alive. And tonight we rejoice at what cannot be found in the tomb. That's the body of the Lord Jesus. I love hearing our teenagers sing, and I believe it's a, a junior high group that sings the song, I don't serve a dead savior. I don't have a dead faith. A lot of people in this world that have faith. There's a lot of people in this world that believe in all sorts of things. Some of them have more faith than you and I have tonight. I've heard of people that have so much faith in what they're told that they'll go on suicide missions and become martyrs believing in some fictitious uh, reward that their God will give them. They have faith. But when they open their eyes in eternity, they realize that it was a dead faith. You see, tonight we don't have a dead faith. We have a living faith. And I rejoice tonight that my faith is not dead because Jesus is not death. My faith is alive because he is alive. So we can rejoice at what is not found in the tomb. But tonight, for just a few moments, I don't want to focus on what's not in the tomb, I want us to take a look at what was left inside the tomb. 
What is there? We know what's not there. It's the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not here for he is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. But what is there? As we look inside of the sepulcher, like we read in Matthew 28 and John chapter number 20, what was left behind? I don't think any of it, by, it was by accident. I don't think any of it is coincidental. There are some things that we can see in the word of God left behind. And I think all of them uh, speak to us. Number one, quickly, I want you to see this. As I look into the sepulcher, I see, first of all, I see angels. The Bible says in uh, Matthew 28, verses 2, it says, And behold, there is a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. Verse number 5, The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye. In Mark's chapter, in Mark's account, in Mark chapter number 16, in verse number 5, uh, the Bible says, uh, When they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. In every gospel record, there are angels at the tomb. They didn't just happen to be there. They were left there on purpose. There's a reason that the angels were there. Uh, They were left to give a message to the disciples. And when I see those angels, I have this thought that God has a message for us. Just like God had a message for Mary, God has a message for you and I today. Aren't you glad that God still speaks today? Aren't you glad that God is not silent today? Everybody in this church, from the first-time visitor to the long-standing member, God has a message for you. God wants to speak to you. God wants to talk to you. He speaks through his spirit. He speaks through his ministers. Hey, my friend, he speaks through his very word, and God has a message for us. How many of you husbands in the room know that when your wife is silent, that's not a good thing? How many of you know that? How many of you children have ever gotten into trouble? And while your mom and dad were trying to figure out what your punishment would be, they were silent. It's not a good thing. My wife and I last week went to Amish country, and we loved going there. And we were there in in Ohio, and we enjoyed our time there, but we were reminded how, how the Amish people will shun someone to punish them. They'll be silent. I'm here to declare to you tonight that if you could look into the tomb, you would see an angel left behind to deliver a message. Our God is not silent. He's not detached. He's not disinterested. He is speaking tonight. He wants to talk to you. There's a message. The Bible says he's numbered the hairs on our head. He knows our name. He knows our circumstance. And he has a message for each and every one of us, every person in every age, every circumstance. God has a message for you. You say, what's God's message, Brother Judah? Well, listen tonight. If you're lost, the message is simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You can trust what the Bible says. I like what the Bible says in Matthew 28, 6. This angel said, he is not here, for he is risen. Listen to this. As he said. You can trust what the Bible says. You can trust the message of the Bible. If you're here and you've never been saved, you need to hear God's message, the gospel message. It's a message of good news. You know that word gospel simply means good news. God has 
has good news for you tonight. The message from CNN or Fox, it's not good. Not good. News coming from Russia and Ukraine, not good. Not a whole lot of good news in our politics and Republicans and Democrats, but there's good news in the gospel. Good news in the fact that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Good news in whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Good news in he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. My friend, if you're here tonight and you've never been saved, God has a message for you. Your sins can be forgiven tonight. Your sins will not be ignored by God. Your sins will either plunge you into hell or they'll be pardoned by heaven, but they will not be ignored by God. And if you're lost, God has a message for you. You can believe the Bible. You can look into that empty tomb and realize that there's something that separates Jesus Christ from every other world leader and religious figure. He was living and he died, but he rose again. And you can believe in Christ tonight. Get saved. Receive him into your heart and into your life. Truly, there's no other message that matters if you're lost tonight. Heard a preacher say that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then none of this matters. This pulpit doesn't matter. These instruments and and all of this beautiful building, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, none of this matters. But if he has risen from the dead, that's the only thing that matters. If he has risen from the dead, my friend, then let me tell you something. Your job, your house, your car, your bank account, none of that matters. All that matters is eternity. And you've either received him or you have not. God has a message for you. If you're lost, you need to be saved. If you're saved, God has a message of encouragement, a message of instruction. Look what the Bible says in Matthew 28, verse number uh, 5. This angel answered and said unto the women, fear not ye. See that encouragement? I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here. He is risen as he said. Look, verse number 7. Go quickly and tell his disciples, If you're saved, God has a message of encouragement and instruction. In in the most intense spiritual warfare, God left an angel to talk to some ladies and to his disciples. In intense spiritual warfare, when, when everything was hanging in the balance, he thought enough to think about me and you and to give us a message. Aren't you glad that God is still speaking to us today? Some of you are visiting with us tonight, and I'm telling you, we're praying for you. We're praying that God would speak to your heart. We're praying that you would hear the message of the gospel, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're not here by accident, my friend. It wasn't an accident years ago uh, when I was 14 years of age on a Monday night that I walked into a church and God began to speak to my heart, and I was saved that night. That was no accident. He was speaking to me. And tonight we're praying that God would speak to you. There's a second thing that I see. First of all, as I look at what was left behind in the tomb, I see an angel. God is speaking to us. God has a message for us. Secondly, I see this. I see grave clothes. In John chapter number 20, I'll read it for you, but in John chapter number 20, I want you to think about this with me. Verse number four, the Bible says this. 
I'm sorry, verse number three, Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter. I bet Peter appreciates that little factoid in the Bible. <laughs> he was slow, the other one was faster. The other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher and stooping down, looking in, he saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then come a Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie. If you could look inside of the tomb, not only would you see an angel, but you would see there at the tomb, you would see some, some grave clothes. They were left behind. I believe these grave clothes have a message for us and that message is the message of victory. Victory. They were hastily loosed clothes. He left them there because he didn't need them anymore. It wouldn't make sense for a living savior to walk around in death clothes. And so he left them there. Jesus wrestled with the bars of death and he was victorious. He grappled with the dominion of sin and he was victorious. And as we look into the tomb, there's a message for us. And that message is a message of victory. We can have victory over death and, and sin and hell in the grave. It's a victorious message. I want you to listen to some verses. I read them in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And if you could turn there quickly, go ahead. We're going to start. I'm going to read a few verses. But 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection of Christ. I'm going to start reading in verse number 14, where the Bible says, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Verse 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Do you see what the Bible is saying here? The Bible is saying if Christ has not risen, our preaching is vain. Our faith is vain. Those who have gone on before and they've, they've, they've died, they're dead in their sins. But look if you would in verse number 20. It says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that, are, that slept. Verse 51, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. I like verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Now look at verse 54. So when this corruption talking about our bodies shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is thy sting O grave where is thy victory verse 57 but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ as I look at that tomb, man, I'm thankful that the body of Christ is not there. But my friend, I see some grave clothes and I don't want to skip over those grave clothes because for the Christian, it's a message of victory. It's victory over sin and death. Just like Jesus was not bound by those grave clothes, I am no longer bound by sin. I am no longer the servant of sin. Yes, I live in a sinful world and I have sinful flesh. I can never be sinless, but I can sin less. There's victory. We can overcome. I heard a preacher talking about the Roman catacombs. And man, it arrested my attention. I've never been there, 
I'd love to visit it someday. He said there's 600 miles of underground tunnels that you can visit in Rome, the catacombs, all throughout the city, 600 miles of underground tunnels, eight feet tall, five feet wide in some places, 60 different catacombs, niches in the side where uh, the, the pagans and the Christians would bury their dead underground. You could go there and you can see it. As you're walking through the catacombs and you visit these different tombstones, you can read the inscriptions that are there. You can read the inscriptions that the pagans left for their dead. Those inscriptions have no hope. One of them reads, and these are quotes, live for the present hour since we are sure of nothing else. Another pagan inscription reads, once I was not, now I am not. I know nothing about it and it is no concern of mine. Another inscription reads, traveler, curse me not while you pass for I am in darkness and cannot answer. These are pagan inscriptions actually written there next to the tombs of people buried in the catacombs. Listen to some of the Christian inscriptions. One reads, here lies Marcia, put to rest in the dream of peace. Another reads, Lawrence, our sweetest son, carried away by the angels. One reads, victorious in life, victorious in peace, victorious in Christ. Do you see the difference between the Christian inscriptions and the pagan inscriptions? One has no hope and full of despair, but in the other, there's a great sound of victory. Victory. Jesus makes all the difference in eternity. He makes all the difference in life today. Too many Christians are walking around in grave clothes. Too many Christians are walking around defeated, as Brother Keith alluded to in his prayer. We, we are living in defeat when we can live in victory, live in victory. I see something else, and this is exciting to me. What's at the tomb? I know what's not there, the body of Jesus Christ. But what is there? An angel. God has a message for us. Grave clothes. There's victory for us. Secondly, or third, I see this, John chapter number 20. And this is exciting. I see right next to the grave clothes, I see a napkin, John chapter number 20. If you would, look at verse number seven. The Bible says, and the napkin, Simon Peter, looking into the sepulcher, he sees the linen clothes. Verse number seven, and the napkin. That was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. What is the message of the napkin? I mean, if I could look into the sepulcher and I would see angels, I would see grave clothes just kind of, in my mind, just kind of wadded up there where the body of Christ was, was lying. And then I see a napkin off to the side, the Bible says. It's wrapped together. It's folded together. It'd be easy to overlook it, but I don't think Peter overlooked it. I don't think any Jew looking into the sepulcher would overlook it. There's a cultural implication here. The folded napkin had to do with the master and the servant. The servant would set the dinner table for the master, and he made sure that it was exactly as the master would want it. Every Jewish boy would know the tradition. The table was furnished perfectly, and the servant would wait just outside of view. He would wait there with his eyes on the master on the table. 
until the master was finished eating. The servant would not dare touch the table until the master was finished. The master was finished eating. He would rise from the table. He would wipe his beard. He would wad up the napkin, would toss it on the table, and he would walk away. And that wadded up napkin meant that he was finished. But if the master was simply called away, he would get up and fold the napkin. He wouldn't wad it up. He would fold the napkin. He would carefully place it on the table. And the servant would not clear the table. He would wait because the folded napkin simply meant this. I'm coming back. And so tonight, my friend, as you look into the tomb and you see the angel and you see the grave clothes, I want you to look at the folded napkin and understand that it is a message of hope. It is a message of hope that Jesus Christ is coming back again. Peter knew it. John knew it. The ladies knew it. When they looked inside and they saw that folded napkin, all of them would instantly be reminded of the tradition with the master and the servant. They would see that it was carefully placed there. They would know the implication that their master would be coming again. And my friends, Jesus is coming again. And you and I on Easter Sunday can have hope that the Lord is going to return. Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Listen to this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. In the book of Acts, the disciples were watching Jesus as he ascended up into heaven, and some angels came, and listen to what they said. They said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner. Friend, you and I can have hope tonight that Jesus is coming again, that that, that napkin is folded, that his return is imminent. I like what the Bible says in Revelation chapter number 22, the very last chapter of the very last book of the Bible. You go all the way to the second to the last verse, and this is what Jesus said. It's the last promise in the Bible. Revelation chapter number 22, the last promise that the Lord made. He said this, he which testifieth to these things, saith this, behold, I come quickly. Man, the last promise of the word of God is that Jesus is coming again. We can have hope, hope in the fact that he's coming, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We used to hear a lot of messages about the second coming of Christ. We used to sing a lot of songs about the rapture of the church and seemed like it was in every conference and every Bible convention. We would always talk about Jesus is coming again. Not so much anymore. Not so much the theme in the church anymore. And I believe this, watch, because we've become comfortable in this world. We've become comfortable in this world. When I look at that folded napkin, I am reminded that my hope is not found in the riches of this world or in the applause of this world. My hope is not found in, in presidents or governments or politics. My hope is found in Jesus Christ. My hope is found in heaven. I have hope that I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the hearts of man all that God has prepared for those that love him. You ever stop and think about this? For a Christian, this right here is as bad as it gets. 
It's as bad as it gets. Say, Brother Judah, I've been listening to the message. It's been pretty bad. Well, it'll be over in eight minutes. But this is as bad as it gets. This life right here, everything after this is better. We have hope, my friends, hope in heaven, hope that we'll see our loved ones again. A little girl was holding her dad's hand, walking through uh, the, the, the neighborhood on a beautiful summer evening. She looked up into the sky. It was just a beautiful, picturesque summer evening. She looked up into the sky. The stars were shining bright. A little girl looked at her dad and said, Dad, if this is what the wrong side of heaven looks like, what does the right side of heaven look like? Man, you look at this world and all of its beauty. Our teenagers, you talk about hope, our teenagers are getting excited. Tonight after the service, we're going to gather our senior class. We're going to go to Belize. I don't know if you've heard about it or not. We've had some rummage sales. Teenagers have raided their parents' homes. <laughs> Record-breaking rummage sale. They, they put things out there that didn't belong out there. We've had a play. We've raised money. We've had donations. And boy, the talk of the school is we're going to Belize. It's going to be beautiful. Nine days in Belize. There's an excitement in the air. And soon we'll get on a plane. And, and we are, I don't even know if this is appropriate to say in church, but we are, we are jacked up. <laughs> we're going to Belize. It's going to be beautiful. I heard it's going to snow tonight. I heard that. I heard it's going to snow tonight, maybe tomorrow. I'll be in Belize. It'll be 91 degrees. <laughs> we're excited about a nine-day trip in a beautiful in a beautiful environment but my friend the christian has a greater hope than that we're not going on a nine day trip we'll be in heaven forever where there's no more hospitals no more funerals uh, no more cemeteries uh, no more sickness the bible says that god shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there should be no more death nor sorrow neither shall be any more crying for the former things are passed away we can get excited about a nine-day trip on the wrong side of heaven imagine what eternity is going to be like for the christian you see, when I look into the tomb, I'm realizing that God has a message for us and every person in here, God has a message for you. There's no shunning going on. He's not silent. He's trying to speak if you're lost. He's saying to you tonight, get saved. Trust Jesus. You can believe the Bible. If you're saved, he's got a message for you. Let me ask you a question, Christian. How long has it been since God spoke to your heart? How long has it been? Man, we get so excited about the things of this world, but God is trying to talk to us. I see an angel. God is speaking to us. I see grave clothes. There's victory for us. We don't have to live in defeat. We're, we, we are, we, listen, we have overcome. Do you understand that? Does it make sense for us to walk around in grave clothes? Their head down. I see a message of victory. I see a folded napkin. Hope. Hope that Jesus is coming back again. Hope that you and I are standing on the brink of eternity. 
that we're living in the last days, it doesn't make me fearful. It makes me hopeful that this will be the generation that Jesus returns. I'll end with this story. W.B. Henson was a, was a hymn writer. He received a, a bad diagnosis. He received a diagnosis that uh, he had a disease that would quickly take his life. He was standing in the village, his very village where he was raised, where he had received the diagnosis. And he said this. He said, I remember a year ago when a man in this city said, you're about to go to your death. That I walked out and went home to where I lived about five miles outside of town. I sat on my porch and I contemplated life and death. He said, I looked and I saw the mountain that I had loved my whole lifetime. I saw a river and I rejoiced. I saw stately trees. And this is what he said. It was like God's own poetry to my soul. That night, I looked up and began I looked up and I saw God began lighting his lamps, talking about the stars in the sky. This man contemplating life and death. He said, at the end of the evening, I finally stood and said, Mountain, I shall be alive when you are gone. River, I shall be alive when you cease running towards the ocean. Stars, I shall be alive when you have fallen from your sockets. That is the confidence and the hope that a child of God can have. Let me ask you a question. What do you see when you think about Easter? I know what's not there. That's the body of our Lord. And again, nine out of ten messages should be devoted to that. What's not there. But Christian, what is there tonight? What is the message of Easter? When you look in that tomb, I see an angel God speaking to us. I see grave clothes. There is victory for you and I today in this world. We don't need to live in defeat. I see a napkin folded. We can have hope that Jesus is coming again. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? You listened very well. I have to address those of you that perhaps are sitting here and you're unsure of your salvation. You'll hear a testimony tonight. One of our young men is getting baptized, born and raised in church, a few weeks ago at our youth revival. This is his testimony, not mine. He said, I was 99% sure that I was on my way to heaven. 99% sure. He said, but I don't want to go to hell over 1%. He got saved that night. I told that story a week later in North Carolina. When I told that story, there were several that came and made sure of their salvation. One young man came, and this is what he said when asked at the altar, what do you know about Jesus? This is what he said, I know that he died for me and that he really, really loves me. Maybe you're here tonight. and You've never been saved. You're 99% sure that you'd be on your way to heaven but not 100%. Listen to my friend, God is speaking to you. God wants to save you tonight. You can believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again. You can believe that he has the power to forgive your sins. No man on earth can forgive your sins, but Jesus can forgive your sins. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Tonight, you can have your salvation settled. What a great thing on an Easter Sunday night 
to settle your salvation. What a great thing to walk into church unsure, but to walk out of church sure that you're on your way to heaven. We've been praying for you. The person that invited you has been praying for you. Has God spoken to your heart tonight?